When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast episode is breaking down the most recent in the Jets' three-game winning streak. A 13-10 victory over the New York Giants. Their third win in a row. Their third win in a row against the Giants as well. The Jets win 13-10, and this game was an absolute slop fest. It was a torrential downpour. The offense was futile until the last 25 seconds of the game in overtime. The defense had some costly penalties. So did the offense. We had a handful of injuries that are truly, some of them going to be crippling for the next few weeks at the least. But the Jets were able to come back overcome some some costly mistakes in this one, and win the game. They go to 4-3. and three. They're back firmly in the AFC East playoff picture. They're back firmly in the wildcard playoff picture. And on top of that, if that wasn't enough craziness, today is the trade deadline. The Jets make a move to try to bolster the offensive line a little bit, you know, kind of a, a makeshift sort of move there. Joe Douglas has his press conference, gives us some crazy news about the team, and we got to talk about all that stuff. So this is going to be breaking down that Jets' fourth win, 13-10 against the Giants. It's going to be talking coaching Zach Wilson, offense, defense, special teams. I got a what's on tap in this one, and I'm going to do news and notes around the team. The next podcast episode I do will be a preview episode of the Monday Night Football game coming up against the Chargers, and that's the one that my dad is going to be uh, putting his father time to. It's going to be a little bit more centered around that game than this game. So today's a what's on tap, and we got to get into it because there's a lot of stuff to cover. Um, before I do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is part of the Fans First Sports Network. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. All right, so first things first, let's just get into some of the, the news and notes. The Jets make a pickup. Obviously, we have some horrible offensive line injuries this week. Wes Schweitzer on IR, Connor McGovern on IR. We're hoping that both of them will come back this season. It's possible that Maybe McGovern with a dislocated kneecap is not coming back again. They're going to try to weigh the options of surgery versus no surgery. Wes Schweitzer's got some sort of maybe calf strain. We're hoping that he can come back. But with Tittman banged up and unable to play in this game against the Giants, and kind of a question mark for this week coming up against the Chargers, the Jets had to make some sort of move on the offensive line. We're playing some guy we'd never heard of, Xavier Newman. We heard, we're playing Billy Turner at right guard. So what do they do? Instead of making a trade at the trade deadline, the Jets bring in 35-year-old Roger Saffold, who at one time was good. He was playing with a really good Rams team. He was playing with a really good rushing Titans team. But most recently, he was playing at age 34 for the Buffalo Bills last year. Had a pretty horrible season, was sixth in the league in penalties. And I think when you are a two-time Pro Bowler like Roger Saffold playing at age 34 and the penalties start to creep up, I think that's a sign that your form and everything that you've been doing, your technique and stuff that you used to rely on, isn't as effective as it used to be, and so it's causing you to 
flail and grab guys and, and try to just stop a guy any way you can because your old ways weren't working and then you have flags and everything. So I don't have high hopes for Roger Saffold, but the one thing I will say is that he's a veteran, maybe a good presence for the locker room. Maybe he can help coach a guy like Xavier Newman or some other young guys in the mix. And also on top of that, he has been part of the Keith Carter system before. Our offensive line coach came from the Tennessee Titans, and uh, that's where Roger Saffold was. They know each other, and maybe he can plug in and do a decent job. But you're talking about a 35-year-old coming off the couch. Who knows what kind of shape he's in? Who knows how many weeks it'll be before he's actually game-ready? And if he is game-ready, what kind of involvement he's going to have? If you listen to the press conference of Joe Douglas today, it sounds like he's pretty excited about Roger Saffold. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen just how used he is. Is this another Ryan Khalil signing? Or is this going to be something that's beneficial for us? I was hoping they were going to be able to make a move for a guard, someone like Ezra Cleveland, who was traded from the Vikings for a sixth-round pick. Give me a break. I think the Jets would offer that all day, every day. They didn't. Joe Douglas basically said at the trade deadline, like, they were making calls all over, but it takes two to tango, so they weren't able to find a, a trade partner for any position group that they were maybe looking for. I would imagine wide receiver would be one of them. Maybe defensive tackle. Possibly they'd be looking at, uh, you know, center, offensive guard, Offensive tackle, any offensive line position at this point would really help us. And uh, and so that was kind of like the big thing going on in the Jets. But then in the press conference, the wild news is Joe Douglas said, and I quote, we expect Aaron Rodgers back. He actually said out loud that the Jets are expecting Aaron Rodgers to play quarterback again this season, which is insane for, you know, a few reasons. Um, but mostly because an Achilles tear is typically at least an eight to nine month recovery window. And when you talk about some really young guys that had this speed bridge put in, this this new method, like a Cam Akers, you're still talking six months that would put Aaron Rodgers looking at, like, March for a comeback. But people are saying potentially end of December he's going to do this thing on three, three and a half months of recovery from a torn Achilles. I find that so hard to believe and so scary. Um, but I also find it exciting and optimistic. And I think that that's a reason that this team still has a lot of fight. I think it's a reason for guys that maybe are thinking, like, geez, this offense is a mess. How long is this going to be sustainable for? But then in the back of your mind, you can kind of say, well, maybe it doesn't have to be sustainable. Maybe we just have to like scrap out some wins, 13 to 10 in the rain, a totally messy game against the Giants. But you get that win. It counts the same as every other win. And then one day, light at the end of the tunnel, Rodgers comes back, and that's when this, you know, butterfly comes out of the cocoon. And maybe that's the hope that these players have. And I think that that's as important as anything else, is just knowing that, you have to have this team ready and in a good place because if Rodgers comes back and he's working his tail off to make sure that he can come back in three, four months from an Achilles tear, that you better make sure this team is ready for him. You better make sure that they're not out of the playoffs already, right? That they're prepared for whatever type of run Aaron Rodgers is going to do with them. So I think that side is good, but it does scare the shit out of me. The idea of having Rodgers back there. He played four snaps against the Buffalo Bills. He looked slow in those. He looked like he was having trouble getting away from the pressure. Right away, tears his Achilles. And I know it's kind of a freak injury, but it was really tough to deal with for the first, like, three weeks, coping with that, and then finally kind of moved on, and the Jets are, like, settling into this chaos team that they are with, like, a weird offense, a couple good players on offense, patchwork offensive line, up and down Zach Wilson, and an awesome defense. And it's kind of like I've accepted that we are a 500-level team that's going to be scrapping for the last playoff spot, and let's see what we can do. And now I got to, like rewire everything to what if Aaron Rodgers comes back and then God forbid he comes back and he's slow or gets hit injured again, like dealing with that two times in one season. That is like, 
that is as bad as it would get for a Jets fan, and I don't want to even imagine that. So there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of fear. But Aaron Rodgers could be back this season. Joe Douglas saying that in his press conference has just opened up the floodgates for every single news outlet and media station and everything to just have their, you know, before they were talking about Aaron Rodgers is possibly coming back. Look at him throwing. Look at him this. Now there's the actual tangible Jets GM expects him back. So we'll see just how far that goes. It's Zach Wilson in the meantime. And uh, that's the big news around the Jets. No other big trades at the deadline. We didn't ship Carl Lawson off. Some people were talking about trade. I don't think there's any scenario that we're trading Dalvin Cook away. Um, they weren't able to add a wide receiver or O-lineman. Just Roger Saffold through free agency. And we'll go from there with the unit that we have. Try to probably get some people off the scrap heap to fill in. In the meantime, while we have a couple offensive linemen on IR. A really thin wide receiver room right now. I'd be calling Corey Davis, I'll tell you that right now, to come play wide receiver for us. I was like, you know, told that uh, I was crazy for thinking that Corey Davis would have been the second best receiver on this team. Everyone's looking at Mecole Hardman and Alan Lazard as these great options and stuff. And I'm like, man, Corey's a good player. Don't, you know, don't sell him too short here. And he retires out of nowhere, and that's a bummer. But when you talk about a guy that the Jets technically still do have the rights to if he comes back to the league, I mean, he could plug right in. Zach Wilson, the system, the offense. It makes too much sense for me. He just has to be in a place where he actually mentally wants to come in and do all that work, and maybe he doesn't. We'll see, but it is an option for the Jets down the road because he's a free agent. You can technically add him. I mean, it could be week 15. Trade deadline's over, but he's still an option open to the Jets here. Um, All right, so let's go on to the Jets win because we got to talk about that. And this game was like, it was miserable to sit through because it was a slop fest, and it feels like, We've watched so many of these games with the Jets so far, just like rainy games where you're thinking to yourself, like this isn't necessarily indicative of what the offense of the team could do. The MetLife turf is just a mess. People are getting injured on it, of course, as always. And it's just a sloppy game where the Jets are a good running team in the sense that they have Brees Hall who can break a big run at any time, but they're not a consistent up-the-middle type of run team, which is what you're looking for in a, a raining, snowy, just bad weather game to try to pound the rock up the middle kind of like Saquon Barkley did for the Giants. You'd like the Jets to be able to rely on something like that. But with a fourth-string center and a tackle playing guard, it was a a very difficult situation to run, and Brees Hall isn't really built to run up the middle anyway. Dalvin Cook's still getting his legs under him. It was a slop fest. But the Jets were able to get that one big Brees Hall play that we seem to rely on every single week. It's always like a big Brees Hall play, a big special teams play, or a big Garrett Wilson play. In this one, we had big plays from all of them, but the touchdown came from Brees Hall. And then after that, the Jets didn't really do anything until the last 25 seconds of the game when Zach Wilson chucked the ball down the field. He gets gutsy at the end of the game. I mean, he's like at least not going to do check downs and do something stupid. He's at least going to chuck it down the field. I give him credit for that. A couple beautiful throws. Somehow, some way, the Jets get some penalty luck. They get a snap off in eight seconds, which made absolutely no sense. Greg Zerline makes a kick in the rain, something that, Graham Gano wasn't able to do, and I know everyone's like, oh, Graham Gano always makes those kicks. Don't give him too much credit here. That was crazy, crazy rain, and Greg Zerline's extra point was messy. His final game-winning overtime kick was messy. It was not easy to kick in those conditions, but Greg got it done, and, uh, man, the Jets sneak away with a 4-3 win after losing the entire game and, and losing to a team that, as everyone says, you know, Minus nine passing yards for the game. How could they possibly almost lose that game? Listen, the Jets did a lot of things to try to make it difficult on themselves. A lot of penalties, a couple turnovers. 
They weren't able to get anything going. Couldn't pick up any third downs until late in the fourth quarter. So that's how you get there. That's the recipe to allowing a team with negative nine passing yards. The Giants also had 203 rushing yards and focused entirely on that and sold out with their blocking scheme to try to get yardage for Saquon Barkley, who still only ran for 3.6 yards per carry. It was 36 carries he had. It's not act like he was shredding it either. He just tons and tons of carries over and over again. And uh, they pulled it off. At the end of the day, four wins is four wins. The Jets are back in the in the winning side of things, right? They're over 500. They're on a three-game winning streak. They're in the playoff picture. It's exciting. I want to talk about the the coaching in this game. Uh, I think Robert Sala deserves a lot of credit because he keeps this team fighting and believing. Part of that's Aaron Rodgers. Part of that is the the preaching that he does and the speeches that he makes and everything. But to be going through the offensive line players that we are and to go through some of the adversity that we've dealt with this year and still have this team thinking that they can win a game with 25 seconds left and doing it and pulling it off, to me, that's pretty remarkable. You're talking about everything going against you in a game and trying to find a way at the very end to have that hope and that belief. And I don't I don't think any Jets fans really thought that they were going to win that game. I saw a bunch of, you know, I, I don't really appreciate all of the, the Connor Hughes and, and beat writers and things that are tweeting about the Jets' loss before the game is over. I think that anybody who watches sports knows that it's not over until it's over. You'll never see me tweet about a loss the Jets had before the game is over because things happen. And I think it's irresponsible to not even give the team a chance to just already write them off and be time to start writing the article. Finish the game, see what happens. If you had, you'd notice that the Jets did some remarkable shit. For the sixth time, it's Zach Wilson's sixth comeback victory. Kid's only played 29 games. He's got six fourth-quarter comeback victories. That's kind of crazy. How many wins does he even have in his whole career in the NFL? And six of them are comeback ones. Yes, it's because the Jets are always in close games, because they're never firmly ahead of the other team. The Jets are never winning games 35-10 to 10 and just cruising through to the end. No, it's always, if they're going to win, it's going to be it's going to be a nightmare <laughs> to watch. It's going to be negative and depressing at times, and there's going to be exciting moments. But, you know, we got to support these guys because they do play their asses off and they don't give up and they play till the final whistle and they win a lot of the games. They actually do it. So I'm excited about the coaching and what they were able to do. The special teams and defense, obviously amazing. Um, Albrick and Sala are doing exactly what they're trying to do. They're getting home with four pressure with four guys. Quinn and Williams helps immensely. Jermaine Johnson's coming into his own. John Franklin Myers is good. The other cast of characters around them also really good. Bryce Huff. Doesn't get enough credit. So they're getting home with four guys, not having to blitz very often. They've got pretty sticky coverage in the back. They don't allow any big plays, and those linebackers attack the kill zone. The defense is doing exactly what Robert Sala wanted to do. Now, it doesn't do that every single week, right? We played against the Cowboys, and it was a total disaster. We weren't able to stop anything. CeeDee Lamb caught the ball a thousand times. I'm worried about that being the situation when we play the Chargers, but we'll talk about that on the next podcast. When the Jets have the right scheme and the team is having trouble against them like we can make any offense look foolish we've made a lot of quarterbacks feel embarrassed more will be coming up later in this year and we gave up 10 points to the Giants negative nine passing yards pressure on those quarterbacks we took Terod Taylor out of the game by hitting him too many times I mean it wasn't just like some unlucky offensive lineman fell on his ankle no we crushed him and he had to leave so and he played a half a game as well with eight total yards. Wow, he had a four-yard pass to Breed and a four-yard pass to Waller. Woohoo! Like, everyone's talking about, oh, you know, we're playing against Tommy DeVito. It's like, I 
don't remember Terod Taylor doing anything more impressive than Tommy DeVito was doing. I think we were actually hitting Terod Taylor even more. And uh, the QBR for Tyrod Taylor was worse than it was for Tommy DeVito. So I don't know what would have been different if Terod Taylor was still in there. Jets were winning this game one way or another. When you look at the offensive coaching, the rhythm just really isn't there right now. I think that what we're seeing for the Jets is like, the recipe feels like a big run is needed from Brees Hall at some point. A couple crazy bailout catches are needed from Garrett Wilson. Other than that, Zach Wilson will run a couple times, find the tight ends a few times, and that's about it. He'll be under pressure a bit, throw it away. He's not forcing a ton of turnovers or anything, but the Jets can't convert on third down. They haven't been converting in the red zone when they got there, and that stuff's got to be cleaned up for them to continue winning games. It's not sustainable right now. You can't be 0 for 15 on third down. You can't be not converting in the red zone ever, right? Obviously, Zach Wilson's doing a good job taking care of the football, he did have one early fumble in this game. Kayvon Thibodeau hit him from behind, fumbles that ball, loses it. That was unfortunate. Giants got three easy points there. I don't give Zach the blame for the second fumble. Brand new center coming in, who's actually a guard, who's actually a practice squad player, who's never snapped before. Fumble right away. Giants get it back. Zach Wilson's taking care of the football. He doesn't have a ton of turnovers. He's keeping the Jets in the game by doing that. Um, and he's looking a little bit better, but we have to make sure that we are getting into more manageable third-down situations. And, man, I can't wait until we play a game that's not in the rain against a not-very-good team. You know, those are the games when Zach Wilson looks his best. Next week is a good chance for him to try to get this offense back on track. I think that's important. But when we talk about the offense, we start with Zach Wilson. He's getting gutsy at the end of the game. He's doing what he has to do to put the team on his back, at least for one drive. We don't see it in the first, second, third quarter, but we do see two minutes left. He's like, all right, we got to find a way to make this work. And he did it. He moved it up the field. He got the Jets in a situation to get into overtime. And then threw that ball to get the Jets into position to win the game. I think that he's definitely progressing this year. And to me, that says a lot just because, I mean, as Jets fans, we've had so many bad quarterbacks. And I feel like so many of them never got better. They never progressed. They never improved. Some of them even regressed from their time coming into the league. Zach Wilson is clearly showing improvement this year over last year. To me, he's moving in the pocket better than he ever was. He's not being flushed out the same. Obviously, this game was a little bit messier than usual. He was getting pressured up the middle constantly, time after time, so that doesn't really count. But he's moving in the pocket more confidently and comfortably, keeping his eyes upfield a little bit more. He's making those easy passes look a little bit easier. He used to try to throw screen passes to running backs and dirt it. He doesn't do that as often as he used to. He's also finally trusting in a guy like Garrett Wilson, and letting him just make plays, sometimes just throwing it up to him. And I think that stuff is really important and shows a little bit of courage in himself and his players instead of just being panicky, like, oh, he's covered, can't throw it there, I'm looking for a wide-open guy. It's like sometimes, one-on-one, just throw it to Garrett. And Garrett has proven this year that he's going to make those plays sometimes. So across the board, you're seeing Zach Wilson become a better quarterback. It's just not to the level that we're hoping for yet. He's playing like a competent backup, which, honestly, at this point in the year, that's what he is. He's Aaron Rodgers' backup, and he's playing like a competent one. He's just not playing like, you know, a top 15 starter like we were hoping he would be when we drafted him, perhaps. But as long as he keeps improving and progressing, it is still possible that he gets there one day. Zach Wilson finishes this game 17 for 36, 240 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Did have those two fumbles. I said one is on him, one's not. Um, He was also the most effective runner of the football in this game for the Jets. Four carries for 25 yards. 
actually picked up the first third down conversion for the Jets late in the fourth quarter on a 17-yard pickup. So thank goodness that play happened. 240 yards seems a little bit deceiving because it's like, I don't really remember anybody catching the football except for those couple plays at the end of the game and a couple beautiful Garrett Wilson plays. But you factor in the big 50-yard Brees Hall touchdown run um, that was actually, you know, a, a pass to him on a check down, turning nothing into something, points. That's what we need. And uh, he ends with 240 yards, 78 quarterback rating, bad consistency, bad, uh, you know, completion percentage. Obviously, not good, not picking up those third downs. A lot of drops from the receivers, a lot of messy play from the offensive line, and some really bad conditions. It was the perfect storm against him, but he still salvaged the game, and, you know, I'm happy enough with it. We brought in Aaron Rodgers because Zach Wilson wasn't the answer, and so he paid for Aaron Rodgers. So let's not act like we need Zach Wilson to be the answer every single week. We need to rely on our defense. We need Zach Wilson to play well enough. And in this game, believe it or not, Somehow, by the end, he had. When you look at the rest of the offensive players, I want to go to wide receiver. The offensive player of the game is Garrett Wilson. Because time and time again, Garrett Wilson bails the offense out. Big third downs, toe-tapping catches, covered, drawing flags. Garrett Wilson does it all. He had his fourth career 100-yard receiving game this week. He had seven catches for 100 yards. So really great there. And the timeliness of getting some of those third downs and drawing penalties late in the game when the Jets absolutely needed to pick things up. Big plays downfield. Zach Wilson trusting in him, and him earning that. And going into this game with Giants fans and people saying that, ooh, Deontay Banks is having a really good season at cornerback for the Giants, it's possible that he's going to match up really well against Garrett Wilson. And then Garrett Wilson proceeds to torch him for an entire game where nobody can throw, but still Garrett Wilson is finding a way to be effective. That's just what he does, and if it wasn't for... Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, this Jets offense would be abysmal. I mean, we saw last year when Brees Hall went down, the offense kind of became abysmal. Garrett Wilson still had a good season. But those are the two guys that are keeping this whole offense afloat. They are the two most important players on the offense, and because of them, we have a chance in every single game because they can make those crazy catches, they can get those crazy runs, and they find ways to get into the end zone. Garrett Wilson, offensive player of the game. Alan Lazard, a couple bad drops, six targets, three catches, 45 yards, he had that nice catch at the end of the game. Um, he kind of like went for extra yardage with nine seconds on the on the game clock, and the Jets had to spike it. And I was like, you know, here's the 20-yard line. Just go down. Give yourself a couple extra seconds. I think we all would have been really pissed if the Jets didn't get that snap off, but they did. So the 45 yards for Alan Lazard are a little bit skewed. He didn't have a great game. But the one thing I want to say about Lazard is, is I know we're all a little bit disappointed in what we're getting from him as a receiver. He does block well. And Brees Hall is not an inside runner. He's an outside runner. He likes to go off tackle. He likes to get receiving opportunities in the flat and stuff. And to do the plays that Brees Hall does, it requires a couple downfield blocks. And that's the type of thing that Alan Lazard does really well. You can't put in a Meikle Hardman or Xavier Gibson on those same plays and get those same huge runs from Brees Hall without the blocks. And Lazard is part of the reason that we're able to do that. And he does fit into the offense a little bit more into that run game and that Brees Hall game more than you may realize sometimes, so credit to him for that. No other receiver in this game caught a football. Xavier Gibson left banged up, not sure his status moving forward, but you know he's not uh, a guy that really gets a lot of wide receiver targets. He gets a couple little gadget plays here and there, but he's not like, it's third and ten, let's throw it at Xavier Gibson. He hasn't had that on his shoulders at all this entire season, so to be without him, 
it's not that much different than having Jason Brownlee in there or Malik Taylor or Randall Cobb. It's just a guy who's a non-factor in the passing game at this point in time. I hope that Xavier Gibson comes back. Hope he's healthy for us. But, you know, obviously that big punt return touchdown in week one was incredible. He hasn't done anything like that since. Bobbled some snaps or bobbled some uh, punts that were sketchy, including one in this game. Didn't fumble it. Made me nervous. Xavier Gibson has still a ways to go to get better before he's a reliable option as a number one or two receiver. Even though right now going into this game, he was the number three receiver. He's pretty close. One injury away from a lot of minutes. Brownlee played active for the first time this year. He wasn't targeted. Malik Taylor actually got more snaps than Brownlee. Malik Taylor is a veteran. You might remember him from that big pass in the preseason. Zach Wilson threw on the left side, like a 50-yard bomb to Malik Taylor when Aaron Rodgers on the headset was like, throw it deep to Malik. Well, Zach Wilson in this game threw it deep to Malik. I'm not sure if Aaron Rodgers told him or not, but Malik burned his man. Zach Wilson threw it a little bit short. Malik stopped to look at the ball. The guy runs right through him. And so it wasn't a good statistical play. It doesn't show up as a catch or anything like that. It doesn't show up in the box score. But the Jets win the game on it, and it is a testament to what Malik Taylor and Zach Wilson did because the only way that play happens, that penalty happens, is Malik Taylor burns his man, and Zach Wilson sees him open and throws it to him. And when he comes back to the ball, the defensive back is so trying so hard to catch up to Malik Taylor. He's running as fast as he possibly can, running straight at him, that there's nothing he can do. When Malik Taylor stops, he's going through that man. He was burned, and he was doing everything to cover his ass and catch back up. He bailed out, sold out, and just ran right through the receiver. The Jets win the game on that play. So good job by Malik Taylor. Good job by Zach Wilson for finding him and throwing him that ball, trusting in him. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's really the only thing that we got out of the wide receivers in this game. We also didn't get much out of the tight ends. You could say that they were in there for blocking, but the Jets didn't run the ball particularly well with the running backs, so the blocking wasn't elite. Uzama did have a really nice block downfield on the Brees Hall touchdown. That was awesome. Uzama also had a 19-yard catch in this game with some nice yards after catch on that play, but that was his only catch, and Rucker and Conklin, no catches for them. It was tough passing the football in this game. It was tough running the football in this game as well. The running backs totaled 24 rushing yards on 16 carries. That's one and a half yards per carry for our running backs in a game where the Giants have a decent run defense, but when you're playing in the rain in this type of situation, you're really hoping you can rely on the run to set up the pass and at least pick up some yards. We weren't able to do that in this game. And when you're running for 1.5 yards per carry, that's a big part of the reason why the Jets are 0 for 14 on third down. We watched the Jets do it with Adam Gase, Frank Gore and Le'Veon Bell, one yard up the middle, one yard up the middle, third and eight, couldn't pick it up, punt it, time and time again. This was a little bit different because we had basically no interior offensive linemen. We're playing in a torrential downpour, playing against a really good defensive front. You know, Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams there are good, tough, stout run defenders, and uh, it wasn't going very well. But Brees Hall, you know, finished the game um, with six catches for 76 yards. That was his big contribution. He had that touchdown. It was a total of 93 scrimmage yards for Brees, so it still looks like a good statistical game from him. It just nothing on the ground. 12 carries for 17 yards. 1.4 yards per carry from Brees Hall. Dalvin Cook, I know that he kind of said that he was hoping to be used more. I don't know if the Jets are disappointed in his performance. I don't know if they're disappointed in him saying that, but he only had two carries in this game. He actually ran the ball two carries, five yards. One of them was a four-yarder. Two and a half yards per carry from Dalvin Cook on his two runs was 
the highest efficiency of any back on the team. And I personally think that Dalvin Cook is a little bit more consistent running up the middle to pick up two to five yards. I think that Brees Hall isn't great when there's not a hole and he's just like forced to try to find something like it's a blocked lane, but you have to go there anyway because everything else is covered. Brees Hall isn't one to like put his shoulder down and pick up three yards. I think Dalvin Cook is a little bit more reliable in those situations. And I would like to see at least some opportunities in a game like this where you have to try to get something going. The pass game isn't working very well. Give it to Dalvin Cook and let him try to run and just get you to second and six, third and two, something like that. From You know, every once in a while. Brees Hall still featured, absolutely. But to me, Michael Carter can't get it going, right? He's basically worthless running the football right now unless it's a situation where it's like third and 15 and you can hand it to Michael Carter because everybody's back watching pass. Izzy Abanaconda has basically been stated by the coaching staff that he's not ready to play yet because he can't pick up uh, blitzes and blocks. If you're not ready to cover for the quarterback and block, then you're not ready to play for this team. So he's not going to play until he gets those coverage assignments down. So Dalvin Cook is going to have to be relied on a little bit more if Brees Hall can't get it going up the middle. I know no one's high on Dalvin Cook. I still have faith in him, but I still need to see him utilize just a little bit more. Get this guy into a rhythm. Talking about the offensive line, a sore subject, of course. More injuries for the Jets. Connor McGovern dislocated his kneecap. He's on IR. Could come back. Might need surgery. We're going to monitor that one. Wes Schweitzer, he's on IR as well. Calf injury. Minimum four weeks out. So at this point in this game, the Jets are missing Elijah Vera Tucker, Dwayne Brown, Connor McGovern, Joe Tippman, and Wes Schweitzer. That is five of the top eight offensive linemen. That's insane. And when you don't have Tippman, and you're starting McGovern and Wes Schweitzer, and then McGovern goes down, and Schweitzer has to switch over to center, you have to bring in a practice squad guy named Xavier Newman to come play right guard. And then when Schweitzer goes down, Newman, who's never snapped the ball, has to go in and play center. Billy Turner, a tackle, has to come in and play right guard. It was chaos. It was a mess. The Jets made it work somehow. When you look at the pressure numbers, it didn't work. Dexter Lawrence had... 15 pressures. The team had like 25 pressures. You watch that game back. The front of that line was collapsing every single play. Xavier Newman, listen, he did it. He stepped in. It was a tough job for him because he doesn't play that position. He wasn't even prepared to play in that game, really. But he didn't do a great job. I mean, I'm not like confident in next week. Oh, let's just put X back out there at center. I don't think the team's confident in him playing center either because it's not his position. I find it hard to believe that, you know, you put your shortstop into pitch in the ninth inning of a baseball game because your team's getting killed and he does an okay job. I don't think moving forward, you're like, all right, we're going to start him next week. Like it's not his position. We're lucky he made it through that one time. Now let's try to figure out who our center is. And maybe it's Tittman. If he comes back healthy, maybe it's somebody on the practice squad like Poe or Dennis Kelly, or maybe they want to switch like Lakin Tomlinson over to center and, and try to toy with that idea. Or Billy Turner maybe can try to do something in center. We'll see. But the Jets obviously have a difficult task trying to patchwork this offensive line. Dwayne Brown coming back in the next week or two could provide a little bit more depth to the O-line, which is definitely important for us because we're not out of the woods with injuries, right? We could still lose a Max Mitchell or a Mackay Becton. Or I, knock on wood, I don't want to jinx anything, but we're only eight weeks into the season here. I mean, there's going to be plenty more injuries potentially to the offensive line. We need not only starters for next week, we need backups and reserves who are ready to go. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Jets kind of navigate that 
through the week. We'll pay attention on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, see who's practicing where, see what the status is for Joe Tipman, who at this point is the most important guy on that offensive line because he can play center and guards. And right now without Wes Schweitzer, we don't have a lot of flexibility. No Elijah Barrett Tucker, another guy that offers flexibility. We got a lot of guys that are like, you know, Dwayne Brown plays left tackle. Lakin Tomlinson pretty much plays left guard. We'll figure it out. Lakin has been solid. I've liked what I've seen from Lakin so far this year, especially compared to last year. Beckton and Mitchell, they both gave up some uh, easy rushes to Kayvon Thibodeau, but otherwise, they're doing well enough. It's kind of what we got from our offensive line in this game, and our offense as a whole. Now, before we go over to the defense and special teams, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And it's a beer that I had to drink for this game because the name makes too much sense. The Jets played a sloppy, slop fest rain game where the offense couldn't get things going. They couldn't pick up third downs. They had a guy named Tommy DeVito keeping the Giants in the game. It was kind of a mess. But throughout the game... There were plenty of Juicy Bits, and that is why today I am drinking Juicy Bits, an IPA brewed by Weldworks from Greeley, Colorado. It is a 6.7% IPA brewed with Citra, Mosaic, and Eldorado hops, and the name is perfect because, like I said, the Jets were messy, but Zach Wilson led a 25-second comeback drive and then won it in overtime, and Brees Hall had a 50-yard touchdown run, and Garrett Wilson made some incredible catches. And Jermaine Johnson had two sacks. And Quincy Williams was all over the field. And the cornerbacks, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner, gave up no receiving to the Giants. And the Jets win this game. So even though it was messy, it was full of juicy bits. And that's why we're drinking the delicious juicy bits. It's a little bit like orange juice. It's kind of got an orange can. And the name says juice, so maybe it's just uh, tricking me. But it tastes kind of like a, a bitter, soury orange juice style IPA 6.7% is my sweet spot the nice 16 ounce can is kind of perfect for a podcast like this it's the right amount of alcohol to get me through a nice episode yeah it's good Colorado is a place that I kind of just trust to make good beer I trust Connecticut to make good beer too I think we have some of the best beer in the country I'm probably biased but I think we have great New England style IPAs But, like, when I see beers from Colorado, I just feel like there's a lot of good hippies out there that just know what they're doing. Weldworks, good brewery, juicy bits, a solid beer. That is this week's What's on Tap. Now, before we go to the special teams and defensive side of the ball, quick commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, the defense obviously played great. The Giants did have 203 rushing yards, but it was on 52 carries. So you're still talking about under four yards per carry. Passing the ball, the Giants had negative nine total passing yards. That's net yards, including the sacks that were, you know, 
taken by Terod Taylor and Tommy DeVito. So when you look through the whole Giants offense, they had less than 200 total offensive yards. And yes, it was horrible weather. And yes, the Giants had bad conditions and they had, you know, some guys injured and they're missing their quarterback and stuff. But the Jets are playing a backup quarterback as well. And we're playing in the same conditions. And we have no offensive line. And a guy who's never even freaking played center playing center, bobbling the football, giving the ball to the Giants. And we still put up 58 rushing yards, 193 passing yards. So the Jets were able to get a little bit more going in this game than the Giants were. Jets a little bit more through the air, a little bit later in the game. Giants a little bit more on the ground, spread out throughout the game. But the Jets' defense played incredible in this one. It starts with the defensive line that made things very, very difficult for Terod Taylor, for Tommy DeVito, as well as for the running game of the Giants. You look at uh, Quinn Williams first because he's playing amazing. Every single week he's playing amazing. And if you look at the stats, it's just not showing up. He has half a sack on the season. For crying out loud, Quinn Williams has more interceptions this year than sacks. But Quinn Williams is consistently getting double teamed, triple teamed, and he's pushing up the middle, causing a lot of pressure that's allowing for guys to like pinch in. The offensive line starts to lose its integrity when you have a guy pushing up the middle. So the base of this whole defense that we're running here is get that big pressure with four guys up the middle, require two guys to cover you, still get a push, and all of a sudden the thing starts collapsing. And that's what allows guys like Jermaine Johnson and Bryce Huff to get home. So Quinn doesn't get nearly enough credit. I think when the year's all said and done, we're going to look back and be like, man, Quinnen only had five sacks on the year. Oh, kind of a down year for Quinnen. But if you watch him play, he is a factor every single snap that he's on the field. And he's on the field a lot of the time. He's a very important piece. And uh, I just don't let the numbers trick you. He had eight tackles in this game. Right, The Giants are running the ball up the middle time and time again. They had 52 carries, eight tackles in the trenches for Quinnen Williams, stopping Saquon Barkley, stopping the running game and just allowing the Jets to stay in this game. When you talk about the ends, i got to go right to Jermaine Johnson because he's our defensive player of the game. Jermaine Johnson had probably the best game he's had as a Jet for most of it. He had one horrible penalty where he hit a guy late, and that was ridiculous, and I almost could have stripped the defensive player of the game from him. But he had two sacks in this game, four quarterback hits, six total tackles, the guy is blossoming right before our eyes. And he's somebody that was like playing every once in a while last year, probably more than Will McDonald is this year, but like one of those guys that just kind of mixes in here and there. This year, it feels like Jermaine Johnson's in almost every single play. And his presence is being felt from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, week after week. This game was no different. He had two sacks, led the team in sacks. He now leads the team for the whole year in sacks with four. And Jermaine Johnson is becoming exactly what we needed and the exact reason that we drafted him in the first round and made sure we got him because now you've got this Quinn and Williams Bryce Huff is evolving John Franklin Myers plays well every single week Jermaine Johnson mixed in now you've got like the luxuries of a Will McDonald what are we going to get from a guy like Michael Clemens and it just all works because Jermaine Johnson is playing so well if we were relying on Carl Lawson say to play that same position I think we'd see a big time downgrade in productivity and the Jets may not win a game like this. So Jermaine Johnson was uh, extremely effective in this game. I wish he didn't have that penalty. I think that he wishes he didn't have that penalty also, but good game from him. I mentioned the other guys. I mentioned John Franklin Myers. He's consistently good every single week. Bryce Huff did Bryce Huff things. Another sack, plenty of pressures. Michael Clemens came back from injury. He missed a couple games. 
He had a really freaking bad penalty that gave the Giants a first down at the end of the game. That stuff, he's got to work through that. He hasn't played in a while. I'm going to uh, give him the benefit of the doubt that it's not like going to be a Nathan Shepard occurrence where it's every three games he does something stupid like this. It's probably just one-time thing. Michael Clemens will learn from it. He won't do it again. And uh, we're glad to have him back in the mix. Quentin Jefferson, he had another half sack. He's always making a play, it feels like, every single game. Good job there. The one negative news about the defensive line in this game was Big Al Woods tears his Achilles. It's another season-ending injury for the Jets, another Achilles, and it stinks because Big Al Woods was a kind of a fan favorite one because he's just so big and a jolly guy. He's a veteran, good presence for the team. But he was like that anchor that was brought in to stop the run. And I know that he was struggling a little bit early. When you get him open in sp- you get him in open space or trying to go after the quarterback and stuff. No, he's not the most athletic or physically gifted guy. He looks like he's an old 400-pound dude. That's basically what he is. But against the run, the way that he's able to clog the middle and just require an extra man to block that huge body next to a Quinnen Williams or whoever else you're mixing in there, it works sometimes. And when the Jets have Al Woods on the field, they are better against the run than when he's off the field. And now we don't have Al Woods for the rest of the year. It could be the end of his career. And if so, I want to say thanks for the memories, both in Seattle, with the Jets. It was fun uh, having him here while he was. I don't know if he'll be back next year for the Jets. I would imagine probably not. Probably at, like, age 32, coming back from an Achilles is, is going to be difficult, especially because it's midway through the year already here. But I digress. The Jets will need to find a way to kind of take over those snaps. Against the run, you got to try to figure out, are you better off bringing up, like, a Tanzel Smart? who's not necessarily great against the run, but pretty good against the pass. Trying to work in John Franklin Myers, a little bit more Solomon Thomas, perhaps. Does Michael Clemens gain a little bit more weight and try to play a little bit more defensive tackle from time to time? It's going to be someone that, you know, they're going to have to work around a little bit because he was a role player and we don't have him now. So, one drink for Al Woods. Go to the linebackers. Quincy Williams had two dumb penalties. A late hit. Um, he slapped a dude as well. <laughs> so that wasn't great. But other than that, Quincy is all over the field. He makes big-time stops. In this game, he had two tackles for loss, a pass defense, 11 tackles. Every single He would have been runner-up for defense player of the game. And honestly, if he didn't have those two penalties, I would have picked Quincy Williams. But those two dumb penalties, 30 total yards, yikes. He doesn't get it for that. He's got to get his head right on those plays after the whistle. But the way that he's firing around the field and making these big hits and stuff, it's exactly what this Jets defense needs. The Jets defense is built on a few things. Get pressure with four, specifically up the middle. Pinch, close around the quarterback. Defensive backs do not give up any big plays. Make it a long drive down the field. Make it a 16-play drive where something can kill the offense. Don't let them score on three plays. And then... Those linebackers attack the kill zone because they're going to be playing like zones and giving up some soft spots. You're going to be looking for opposing offenses to try to do check downs, screen passes, and try to set up some easy yardage that way. You need linebackers who are going to get to the mesh points, get there quick, hit the guy, take him down, not bounce off. And that's literally exactly what Quincy Williams is doing. C.J. Mosley has done it for his career. Maybe losing a step just a little bit, Quincy Williams is gaining a step. And he's playing out of his freaking mind. And because he's doing that, we're able to play the defense that we play. If it's Jamie and Sherwood in there, or Hamza Nazaruddin, or whoever else it might be, and they're not getting those stops, the Jets lose this game. 
Quincy Williams is flying across the field, running like 30 yards left to right to tackle Saquon Barkley two yards before the line to gain on third down. And that's not something that a lot of linebackers in this league can do. And he's doing it consistently, week after week, taking people down like a steer. It's pretty awesome how far he's come. You just got to get some of that those mental hiccups out, right? C.J. Mosley, another great game for him. He basically took Terod Taylor out of the game with his big hit. Um, my dad said it when he watched it. He's like, man, C.J. Mosley, one thing about him, like, he can hit really hard, but he picks his moments, and it felt like in that moment he knew he could get away with a big-time hit on Terod Taylor going down, and he did, and it took Terod Taylor out of the game. C.J. Mosley is a scary man to go up against. He had 12 tackles, a pass defensed, half a sack. Good old C.J., the enforcer of the defense, the play caller of the defense, the captain of the defense. Can't say enough about what he brings to this team. Defensive backs? How much you want to talk about the defensive backs? The Giants had negative nine net passing yards. There were four yards to Waller, and on that play, Sauce took him down before the line to gain, basically rode him on his back and drove him into the ground. Giants had to punt. There was a four-yard pass to Matt Breida, but that's not on the DBs, and then Negative one total yards from their leading receiver, Darius Slayton. He was the only wide receiver to catch a ball. Everybody else, nothing. We had perfection from the DBs, including Ashton Davis. Ashton Davis made a, a nice play against Darren Waller. Was in there on a few other plays. Michael Carter gave up nothing. Sauce gave up nothing. DJ Reed gave up nothing. Tony Adams, quiet, not needed. Jordan Whitehead needs to be more reliable tackling. Strong safety coming up. He's a strong safety who... Tackles way too often like a free safety. But overall, great defensive back game. Special teams, I mean, what can you say? What a strong kicking game from the Jets. Greg's are line drilling kicks. Two big-time kicks from Greg in tough-condition game. Windy, spiraling winds, MetLife Stadium in the torrential downpour. We saw Graham Gano miss his easy kick. Greg's are line drills both his. 35 yards to end the game to go into overtime, then 35 yards in overtime, as well as an extra point. Were they all pretty? No. But did they all go in? Absolutely. And this year, Greg Zerline has one single missed kick. It was over 50 yards, and that's the only time he's missed a kick. He's 94% on the year. This is what, basically, for the entire life of this podcast, I've been dreaming of. A kicker who could kick, honestly, above just 85% would be incredible. And we're getting the best version of Greg Zerline there's ever been, in my opinion. And then you couple that with his partner in crime, the punter Thomas Morstead, who you look at the Jets' Twitter account right now, it's named after Thomas Morstead as a fan account. Thomas Morstead's the first Jet ever to punt three balls inside the five-yard line. And he's doing it without the help of, like, a gunner getting down there and downing it on the one-two-yard line. He's literally punting it to the five, and it's rolling to the three, and then dies right there. They are ridiculously accurate, perfect precision Kicks that basically win games for you. And how many safeties have the Jets had this year? They've, they've forced two safeties, I think, so far. Both of those set up by Thomas Morstead punts. And now you have him in this game. First Jet ever, three punts inside the five-yard line. This is a game that was predicated on the punt. Both teams were punting back and forth. And Morstead was an absolute golden god punting the ball in this one. I can't believe what we saw from him. He is our special teams player of the game. Way to go, Thomas Morstead. That guy freaking rocks. I'm glad he's on our side. So imagine having Braden Mann, who maybe every once in a while can get like a random 65-yard bomb 
and every once in a while can randomly make a weird tackle where you're like, wow, that's a good tackle for a punter. But, like, what we're getting from Thomas Morissette is a veteran acing the whole punter. Man, doesn't have the biggest cannon in the world, but holy smokes, he knows what he's doing. That's our special team. Xavier Gibson, quiet game from him. Not a lot of returning. I need him to make sure that he doesn't bobble the ball. He needs to catch it cleanly. He got banged up in this one. DJ Reed came in, made it look easy catching a punt. So we obviously don't want DJ Reed returning punts because there's the fear of injury. As you have guys diving at your ankles to try to tackle you, and DJ Reed is too important to lose, you always put like a number three, four, five receiver back there or like a low-end cornerback to return those kicks because you can lose them. If somebody comes and they're looking up at the ball and somebody dives at their kneecaps, if they go out for the year, not the end of the world. So we can't be playing guys like DJ Reed at punt returner. Got to figure out how uh, Xavier Gibson's health is looking and then go from there. So we'll find out a lot more when Robert Sala does his press conferences with the practices and can talk about who's playing in full and limited. And then we're going to start kind of getting an idea of how to get ready for this Chargers game. Because the Jets at 4-3, and three, they are looking for the playoffs right now. They are playing too well to not be looking for the playoffs. On defense specifically, special teams as well. The offense... They're making enough plays to win these games. And we've played a lot of hard games already. We've played so many hard games. And no no game is easy for this Jets team. With the way our offense is running, every single game is a dogfight. Whether we play the worst team in the league or the best team in the league, they're all scrap fests. But the Jets, if they can pull away and win a few more of these things, specifically against the Chargers, big spot, Monday Night Football, let the world see. The Jets are getting huge Huge football numbers from viewers. Give them what they want. Give them more New York Jets football and let them show up, rise to the occasion yet again in a big spot. That's going to be good. We're going to talk about that one. Uh, Thursday morning podcast coming out talking about the Chargers game that the uh, Jets will be looking at to try to get to four wins in a row. That'll be that'll be big time. So look for that one on Thursday morning. Other than that, rate. Review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Thank goodness we snuck away with this win. This would be a totally different type of podcast and conversation if the Jets had found a way to blow it, but they didn't. They did another miraculous thing. Another fourth quarter comeback by Zach Wilson and the Jets. And here we are, four and three, looking to go on a four-game winning streak against the Chargers. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is the Jet Life. (laughs) 